She's articulate, she's passionate, and she tells the truth about health. She's Dr. Holly. It's time for the Dr. Holly Lucille Show. Hey there, mindful listeners. Thanks once again for spending part of your day with us. All right, today's episode, I can't wait. Screen time, yep, we all know what that is. We get a lot of it these days, but screen time and mental health. I wanna bring on our guest right away. Lauren Cook, she has a master's of marriage and family therapy. So she's an MFT and is a clinician working with individuals, couples, children, and families. She currently works at the University of San Diego in their student counseling center, and she speaks around the country and visits universities to provide them with education about mental health and well-being. She is also the author of Name Your Story, How to Talk Openly About Mental Health and the Sunny Side Up Celebrating Happiness. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Holly. I'm excited to be here. You know, I'm excited to have you, and I'm excited about this subject because it seems like I see, both in my personal life and in my practice life, that people are aware of what screen time is, Uh, these days and the negative connotations for our health that it comes with and I see all the time people making some attempts for boundaries around this this said screen time issue and then I see all the time people not being able to hang on to those boundaries and their faces in their phone once again way before they get out of bed so let's just start this out those are my sort of um, (laughs) observations at this point but let's start it out with how does screen time actually impact our mental health or our health in general, I guess? Absolutely, and I think you speak to such a true point. It's like an itch we can't stop scratching, right? We know it's not good for us, and yet we can't stop engaging in the behavior to want to keep checking our phones. And, you know, we really see that it does become almost an addictive behavior. When we check our phones, we get this flood of dopamine that's instantaneous, uh, and that is so reinforcing. It's just that quick happiness boost that we think we're getting. And yet ultimately we see from the research that actually people go in checking their phones and they think it's going to bring them a sense of joy or maybe a sense of education or something. And more times than not, people step away from their phones and think, you know what, I actually don't feel better. I feel worse. I feel like I'm comparing myself to other people. I feel inadequate. I'm not attractive enough smart enough, successful enough, uh, the list goes on. And so we really start to kind of delude ourselves because we think that we're going to get this feel-good sensation when we check our phones and actually we come away from it feeling worse than we did uh, when before we checked our phones, if that makes sense. Sure. I see it all the time and I, you know, I have to throw my <clears throat> uh, confession in there. I probably do it sometimes as well. Um, so to your point then, do you think that this whole screen time thing is is addictive, that it is actually an addiction for folks? Well, you know, in the DSM-5, it's not a clinically diagnosable condition at this point, although it'll be really interesting to see in future years what happens from a diagnostic standpoint. But just in my own practice, I definitely see some addictive behaviors happening with cell phone use. And I think it's especially problematic in the adolescent brain, where we know that their frontal lobe, that planning part, the self-control part of the brain is not then developing until about age 25. And so when we see, you know, 12 and 13 year olds engaging with their cell phones, you know, for eight hours a day on average, um, it really, it, it sends this reinforcing behavior that can certainly feel addictive. 
and we don't even realize much of the time how often we're actually checking our phones and spending time on our phones. Right, and I often see with families that um, it's somewhat of a battle. Uh, screen time is easy, is either used as a punishment, like the screen time is going to be taken away, or a reward mm-hmm. sometimes, where screen time is actually you know allowed for certain behaviors or if chores are done or something like that. Like it is, it's it, it's definitely something. And then I kind of want to throw this at you too, just with your background. It's something that I'm really curious about. So I hope you don't, I hope I don't throw you off here, but um. <laughs> bring you know, it on, what, bring it on. Yeah, what I see in my, sometimes in my profession, but well, certainly in the circles that I hang out with, because I have a lot of communication with folks in different aspects of my profession, but is there something, and I, I think I made it up, but is there something called behind the screen courage? And what I, what I mean by that is when people get, so nasty with some of their comments or their opinions and they let them fly in my opinion way more freer and way more less filtered than they would if somebody was right in front of them in person where Mm -hmm. they kind of have this sort of false sense of courage and they just can be hurtful without the consequences do you see that and is that a thing Oh, I think it's absolutely true. Um, And we see it all the time with people even going so far as to create fake Twitter and Instagram identities to be able to project out um, hateful messaging and and hurtful words to other people because there's no consequence much of the time. Um, Maybe their post will be deleted, but no one is actually coming to that person and saying, you know, when you do this, it has real effects on the person on the receiving end. And so there's no repercussions for engaging in this kind of behavior. So I think it's definitely um, a part of our culture that we're seeing, and it really takes away from all empathy. You know, you would very unlikely say that to someone's face, the hurtful things we see people saying. And yet, like I say, there's no consequence for that behavior, um, and it often goes unchecked, so that person just keeps doing it. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like um, that's so harmful for for both. I don't I don't think it's it's I don't think it's good for the user, and I certainly know it's not comfortable and it's very hurtful for the recipient. And um, boy, that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I I wish early on we could start teaching folks about that. It's just it's it's not okay, um, and it you know we can agree right. or I mean disagree, but um, there's still sort of a a code of conduct or a code of ethics when you talk to people, whether it's behind the screen or not, that we can facilitate supportive and synergistic conversations and learn from each other instead of continually to tear each other down. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, you know, at the top of the show, I mentioned that I I have, um, my spouse is one of them, <laughs> um, where I see these bound. <laughs> I see these boundaries being set, you know, and, and, and the exclamation happening where, okay, I'm going to, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, and never look at my phone again before I, you know, after only after an hour after I get up, or I'm not going to use my phone anytime before 7 a.m. or 7, you know, after 7 p.m. or, you know, fill in the blank. I have not once, mm-hmm. Lauren, seen an ex like a it's it's almost like that um, New Year's resolution phenomenon where okay here we go we have this chance again to just resolve you know something that we are going to do better for ourselves for humanity you name it and then January February 
around springtime, um, hey, what, what was that resolution again? And what, 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 what did you say you were yep. going to do or not do? So do you have any recommendations for truly helping people sort of stay away from screen time? Yeah, I do. You know, I think, and what you're speaking to is this rigidity, right? It's all or nothing. And that's not how we as humans work. We we tend to do best when we live in moderation. And we see that the people who are most mentally healthy are those that can integrate flexibility in their daily routine. So I think first it's stepping away from those rigid rules of, I'm not going to check my phone, you know, uh, before seven in the morning, or I'm only allowing myself to have an hour of screen time. Um, we as humans, we kind of tend to re- rebel against when we set rules like that against ourselves. So I think really being mindful of what is going to help me feel like an overall more balanced human being. And I think that's being intentional about creating other opportunities in our lives to connect face-to-face. And so really planning time where you're going maybe to brunch with a friend or even a phone call with a friend as a step up from, you know, a text conversation. And really making time to, uh, I always say, hands-on activities where you literally can't have your phone in your hand. So um, I live by the ocean, so maybe it's going kayaking, right? Or maybe you take a dance class, something where you cannot physically, you know, do the mindless scroll while you sit there. Um, so, uh, you know, it is in moderation. I definitely don't believe in saying no screen time whatsoever. We live in the 21st century, and that's just honestly not necessarily realistic. But how can we integrate more balance into our daily schedule? That, I think, moves us much more towards mental health. Ah, that's so perfect. I think you're right. You know, if we just stay more aware of it, I mean, this is the show. It's Mindful Medicine. If you could just stay a little bit more mindful about that device. Um, I'll notice myself, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll just, more and more, it gets gets easier as I get older and... um, like even if I'm at a restaurant early and my friend who hasn't, it happened last night. I don't even have to make this up. It happened last night. I, I got to the restaurant early and I was waiting for my colleague who I was having dinner with. And, you know, it was this beautiful outdoor cafe and it was like 72 degrees. It was really, really nice. And there were some fountains around and there was foliage everywhere. And I could have popped on my phone and checked, you know, a multitude of things, email or uh, other platforms, but I, instead I just, I turned it over just so I could see, you know, if he was texting, hey, I'm going to be late or something like that. And I just enjoyed myself and, and the quietness and my thoughts and uh, the gratitude that I had for just being in a really beautiful, you know, calming place, getting ready to have dinner with, you know, a good buddy of mine. So it, it, it was nice to just kind of do that. And I catch myself wanting to do that more and more. Oh, I so love that. And it really is just shifting our intention, right? And and literally looking up, you know, so often we are looking down at our phones that we don't even take the time to see the beauty that's happening around us. And so part of my work is really encouraging people, you know, what are you missing out on your life when you have your head down in your phone? You know, there's so much goodness and connection happening around you. And I particularly see this as challenging for young adults. I mainly speak with middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, and it's fascinating. You know, you try and make eye contact with them, shake their hand, get to know them, have a conversation. So many of them cannot even sustain eye contact because I believe we've gotten so uncomfortable being seen and seeing each other. And I think a lot of that stems from our really close connection to our cell phones because we're looking a lot more at those screens much of the time 
than actually at each other. Yeah, yeah. It's um funny to all, well, it's not funny. It's sad sometimes to actually be at a establishment and two people are having dinner with each other, but not really <laughs> because they're sitting there. Yes, and yes. <laughs> Both of them are on their phone, not speaking to each other, not looking at each other, not touching each other, uh, basically not mm-hmm. having dinner together at all. Um, there is a, a group of folks that I know that all go out to dinner at least once a month, and everybody puts their cell phone in the middle of the, the dinner table. And the first person who mm-hmm. reaches for their phone to do anything, to check, to look something up, to if it dings, if it beeps, if it rings, uh, they have to pay for dinner. So that's a. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's the way to that, do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Um, so, you know, what are some of the signs that you see in these folks that you treat um, that someone might be spending too much time on their phones or on their computer or on their gadget? Yeah, yeah. And it can manifest in a lot of different ways. It, it can look like increased anxiety. Um, I, I see it happening for a lot of young adults in particular as they watch people who basically their whole lives are being lived out through a screen, right, through your Instagram highlight reel. Um, we have not created a space to be human, to live through what it looks like to make mistakes in our life and recover from that because we are only showing the best of the best on our social media feeds. And so I really see that causing a lot of people anxiety, this sense of perfectionism. I think it can also manifest with increased depressive symptoms and particularly a sense of isolation. You know, if you ask the millennial generation and Generation Z right now how many friends they have, a majority of them will tell you, well, I maybe have one to three friends. And some of them will tell you, I don't have any friends. And they may, you know, they may have hundreds of friends on Facebook or something like that, but actual close connections in person, that is so missing. And we know that, you know, as humans, we crave that social connection. That's how we derive a sense of health um, mentally, emotionally, physically. And so when we're deprived of that, uh, it literally is punishable to our brains and bodies. It doesn't feel good for us. And so only naturally that can really increase depressive symptoms and and lead people to just feel incredibly sad and alone in this world. Yeah, you know, I I just, I'm going to repeat this story. This is actually a true story of a a friend of mine who um, shall remain nameless at this point in time, but I mean, tons of followers on Instagram, tons, very prolific and um, fitness industry, tons, like numbers, 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 likes, 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 clicks, 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 all of that stuff. Had a little hiccup um, and was in the ER and could not find one person in her circle, in her life that wow. would come and get her or be with her. Wow. And that was wow. so, this is a story that I actually was told about. Um, and to me, it was like right there. It was like, wow exactly um what what is that what is this all about if you know you can't pick up the phone and get a bestie to come down because you're in some need and you're in trouble Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's why i think it's so important that um, especially you know younger generations they're getting training in how to socially connect i think it's something that 
um, older generations, it's just naturally a part of their growing up experience. They'd go out bike riding. My mom would tell me all the time how she'd, you know, just spend the day at the beach with her friends and listen to music. And, you know, younger generations are being raised to have their sole social interactions occur via text or through a Twitter feed. And so they literally do not know how to pick up the phone and call someone or they actually I have many of them report to me when they see a voicemail it triggers anxiety because they're so afraid of calling someone back <laughs> and so clearly we need to do some education around that and normalize other ways to connect it's a real thing yeah I mean to call someone back let alone go sit across from somebody and have a tea and have a chat um my dear, right. you know, the the other thing, and this is another, I mean, this obviously gets me because it's just all of these things are true and, and witnesses. I witnessed, it was earlier this year, um, a, and, you know, I live in a, an area where it's very eclectic, but young couples, older couples, all sorts of, um, all sorts of uh, races, all sorts of cultures, and there was a family a, a, a little toddler in a in a uh, stroller, the ones that are looking outward. Mm-hmm. So they weren't looking into their parent when they were pushing them. They're looking outward, and then the parent who was the mom was had the pushing the stroller, had the dog, but the kid, right? So probably no no more than two years old. Instead of looking mm-hmm. at the other dogs that would come up, or looking at the the flowers and the butterflies and the trees had a phone in their hands and was on wow. a walk outside with a phone and screen up. Unbelievable to me. Yeah, yeah. It's And unfortunately, I, I think that happens all the time. And I want to express empathy for parents. Uh, I'm not a parent myself. And I know, you know, from seeing my friends who are parents, it can, you know, feel really overwhelming and challenging when you have a a young one who's in distress, and sometimes that phone can feel like a really easy fix. Um, however, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see how, you know, just looking at fMRI scans, how brains shift based on integration of technology at that young of an age. I mean, there's research that's already showing that it may actually change the wiring of these young brains. It may change the the structure and the sizing of the brains in these toddlers. So it real neurobiological effects that I think we can't underestimate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think just very harmful and hopefully um, we are doing something about it and that we can start younger and making sure that um, the connection with people are still there because that's the irony of it. You know, it's just, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how connected we can be, but at the same time, how disconnected mm-hmm. it makes us it makes us feel. So, all right, you've got a couple books I just want to mention again. Your story, How to Talk Openly About Mental Health, and also The Sunny Side Up, Celebrating Happiness. And your website, Lauren Cook, is thesunnygirl.com. I love that. That's a great, that's a great <laughs> URL. <Thank you. laughs> all right, so you're down at the, um, you're down at the University of San Diego in the Student Counseling Center. Do you have a private practice as well? I don't. I don't. I'm in the last year of my doctoral training, so that's in the works. But um, I work a lot as a speaker and so travel around the country speaking on different college campuses. I'll be at Washington State in a few weeks, um, really giving education to students about how to talk about their mental health when they're feeling distressed. And just as important as we're talking about having you know, real face-to-face conversations with people, 
how to have conversation when you're concerned about a friend or a classmate or loved one, when you're worried about their mental health, how do you help them get the help that they need? So that's part of the work that I do. Awesome. All right, Lauren Cook, thank you so much for helping us open our minds about screen time and mental health. For my mindful listeners, we're going to see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks, Dr. Holly.